You're listening to the RUF at UT podcast. You're never so bad that you're beyond the reach of God's grace. And you are never so good that you're beyond the need of God's grace. For more information, go to www.utk.ruf.org. Second Samuel 9. And David said, Is there still anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba, and they called him to David. And the king said to him, Are you Ziba? And he said, I am your servant. And the king said, Is there not still someone of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him? Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in his feet. And the king said to him, Where is he? And Ziba said to the king, He is in the house of Maker, the son of Amiel, at Lodabar. Then King David sent and brought him from the house of Maker, the son of Amiel, at Lodabar. And Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and paid homage. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, Behold, I am your servant. And David said to him, Do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan. And I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your father, and you shall eat at my table always. And he paid homage and said, What is your servant that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I? Then the king called Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, All that belong to Saul and to all his house I have given to your master's grandson. And you and your sons and your servants shall till the land for him and shall bring in the produce that your master's grandson have, may have bread to eat. And Meph- but Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, shall always eat at my table. Now Ziba had fifteen sons and twenty servants. Then Ziba said to the king, According to all that my lord the king commands his servant, so will your servant do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. And Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. And all who lived in Ziba's house became Mephibosheth's servants. So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem, for he ate always at the king's table. Now he was lame in both his feet. So if this is your first time joining us this semester, we've been looking at the life of this guy named David in First and Second Samuel. Um, and just kind of what it can tell us about kind of ordinary, everyday spirituality for God's people. Um, and if David really is... You know, this guy who's a man after God's own heart, then we probably should investigate and kind of take a look at this guy's life. And so tonight we're going to look at this text that Weldon did so well reading for us. Those are some hard words. Um, and we're going to look at this story of, of this guy named Mephibosheth who's, you know, he's crippled, he's lost his inheritance. He's, he's in this place named Lodabar, literally translates to land of nothing. Um, and we're going to look at this guy who David actually invites into his palace with him to eat. Uh, and, to, and to live like a son of his. And, and through this, somehow, I think that we're going to be able um, to see a lot about ourselves and the way that we relate to the shame uh, in our lives. And so I could be like Ellie and ask all of you all to stand up and play a little game of elimination and say, all right, now like sit down if you feel like you deal with this like crippling, debilitating issue of shame about who you are. And I bet no one would really want to. No one would really want to sit down if I asked that, right? But if I asked you to sit down if you were wearing clothes, everybody would sit down. Everybody's wearing clothes, and and so fundamentally, what that means is that you deal with shame. Um, 
and I'm getting this from Seth Starkey, by the way, but he's the Bellhaven RUF campus minister. We'll copy right there. But, um, and the reason I say that is not to be provocative, but that like, it really is indicative that something is wrong fundamentally with kind of who we are, that things are not the way that they're supposed to be because clothes only existed after the fall. I mean, when you think about the way sin entered into the world, like Adam and Eve didn't know that they were naked at all. And then sin enters the world, and the first thing that they do, their first reaction is to cover up, to hide themselves, to, yeah, just to cover up and hide themselves. And I think that we all kind of have this desire to do that in our own lives in all these different small ways because what shame is, shame is this like deep sense of being unacceptable, that you are not good enough. You're not smart enough, you're not pretty enough, you're not talented enough, you're not wealthy enough, you're not cool enough, you don't have the, you don't have the cool friends, like your grades aren't enough, and, and all of that leads to you deeply believing that you're a failure, uh, that you're kind of unworthy of love, maybe that you just don't have value. Um, and so shame is when all of these things become who you are, like at your core. Like you can't see yourself any other way, like this is your identity now, these things that you see about yourself that you don't like. Shame is... It's all about who you are and not necessarily just about what you've done. Um, so tonight I'm getting a lot of help from Brian Sorgan Fry, Richie Sessions, Seth Starkey. Super thankful for them. If I say anything enlightening, it's probably them. Um, and we're going to look at three things. We're going to look at the reality of shame that we kind of already touched on, that we all deal with this, the reality of shame. We're going to look at the response to shame. We're going to look at how David responded to this shame of Mephibosheth. Um, And then we're going to look at what our reaction to that should be. And so to understand a little bit more the gravity, really, of what David did and why it matters, we need to talk about this recipient of his kindness. We need to talk about Mephibosheth, really flesh out more, like, of who this guy is. Um, Mephibosheth was not the guy who would have just been picked last at recess. Like, he wouldn't have been picked at all. He wouldn't have been on the playground. Like, you, you... you wouldn't have even thought about him participating. Like It was that bad. Like He was the bottom of the totem pole in like every category that you could be judged on in his day and age, in society, for his time. He was the son of Jonathan, but that also meant that he was the grandson of Saul, this, this guy who was king before David, who had done a lot to try to like, you know, kill David and like ruin his life. And so this matters a lot that he's actually related to Saul because back in those days that the kings used to practice this or rulers just used to practice this idea called consolidation through liquidation. Uh, it sounds like a metal record or something. But, um, and so what that means is, is like for them to gain power and like consolidate power, they would completely do away with the lineage of the ruler that came before them. Like Every person in that person's family, they would just completely do away with. That way, they were, they, sorry, that way there was like no one that could have you know, threatened their throne or laid claim to the throne. Um, so not only is he, you know, kind of crippled and sad, but he's, he's an enemy of the state, right? Like, he's someone who uh, is probably hiding because he thinks that he's going to be killed by the new, by the new ruler, David. Um, the only other time we hear about Mephibosheth other than this chapter in Scripture is in 2 Samuel 4. You don't have to turn there, but it describes how he became crippled. He was being taken care of by this woman, like a nurse, and they had received news that Jonathan and Saul had been slain. And this is bad news. Like, when you're related to Saul and you're in that house and in that kingdom, they're fleeing, kind of like fleeing for their lives. And he gets dropped. Like, they're fleeing for their lives. She drops him. And he just, he breaks both his feet. Like, we don't really know exactly what happened, but, I mean, at that time they didn't have, you know, like, modern medicine and hospitals like we have. So some things you just couldn't fix. 
And so you just kind of had to live with this. Five years old. Um, and again, like that matters because this was like an agrarian society. You know, a lot of like farming. Like if you couldn't work, if you couldn't provide, you're just seen as this consumer who's kind of like a burden to the people around you. Um, and so this is where we find this guy named Mephibosheth. Again, like he's living in this place called Lodabar, which literally translates to a land of nothing, this wasteland. He's an enemy of the state. He's crippled. He's an outcast. He's seen as useless in the eyes of society. And this is where we meet him. I mean, even his own name, like the word Mephibosheth, if you look it up, like it translates to this phrase, out of my mouth proceeds reproach. Like his name meant shame. That's what they named him. It'd be like if you were named like Bedwetter, you know? And like that's what everybody knew you as. Um, so just imagine that. Like this guy's whole world has to be viewed through the lens of these two things, but it's worth noting that those two things have nothing to do with, like, what he's done or his choices. Right? Like, you don't choose the family that you're born into. Like, he didn't, this wasn't an accident. This wasn't his fault. He wasn't clumsy, and that's why he's crippled now. Like, these things happen outside of his control, but yet they almost have, like, the entire say about who he is as a person. I mean, you can look at it in verse 8. He actually calls himself... Sorry, I placed this water over here earlier. He actually calls himself a dead dog. Like, that is, his, that is his view of himself. He probably thought he was being summoned by David. Like, the only rational reason he probably thought David wanted to see him was so that David could finally kill him. You know, kind of put him out of his misery, do away with everybody, you know, in the house of Saul. And I think this matters a lot because I think we see the same thing in us. In a way. Like, I think that there is a part of everybody in this room that somehow relates to that and kind of feels that way. Right? Like, that your entire life is kind of this attempt to cover up and hide who you are and pray that no one, like, seeks you out and really exposes you and kind of brings you, you know, into this situation where, where you're fully known, like Mephibosheth was. Um, I've recently started watching this great show called The Newsroom uh, with my roommates and my friends. It's great. Um, I'm only on episode three, though, so if you've seen more, we can only talk about the first three. Um, it's great. There's this scene, though, that I really liked uh, that we were watching on Sunday. Two characters, Will McAvoy, Mackenzie McHale, they start working together at this uh, news station. They're, they're broadcast news, and you, you, we find out that they had, they had been lovers before, and we find out that something, something bad had happened to split them up, and he is desperately trying to keep what happened secret. He has made her swear that she will not tell anyone that they work with why they broke up. Of course, everyone finds out why they broke up. And we find out, like, he's in this fit of rage when this happens, and he screams something. He says, like, things like this don't happen to people like me. He was so desperately trying to hide that thing because things like that don't happen to people like me. And even worse than that, like, after the fact, they're talking about it, and he tells her, he asked her why she even told him, you know, that she had cheated on him. It was kind of like at the beginning of their relationship. It wasn't even a big thing. But she told him, right? She was trying to be good and honest. But he says he wished that she would have lied to him so that he didn't have to face the reality of, like, what that meant now for who he was, that he was that guy. Like, he wishes that he would have been lied to. Um, and I think that's us. Like, we would rather just, like, lie to ourselves and not really confront this reality of shame. We'd rather just kind of, like, push it under the rug and, and forget about it and not really have to deal with it. And so, like, what is it for you? I mean, like, what, what is it that's kind of happened to you or that you've done that makes you relate to this Mephibosheth guy? I mean, this room is, like, way too big for us to be naive to think that there's not abuse present, whether that was, you know, physical or sexual or emotional. Um, you know, the people we care about do bad things to us. 
And just like Mephibosheth, like, it's not your fault, you know? And like, it's so tempting to think that that defines who you are before God and before others, and it just doesn't. And, but we, I know how, I mean, we know how easy it can be for that to happen, and no one hates that more than God. Like, this is not the way that He created things, you know? Like, it's not fair. Maybe for you it was rejection. Like, maybe the fraternity or sorority that you really wanted to be in just said no. Maybe it was GLS or SGA or ambassadors, whatever it is that y'all do here, all these things. Maybe something that you wanted just said no to you, you know? And that kind of, like, defines who you are now. Like, they said no, they didn't want me. And maybe you have no idea why. Or maybe even worse, like, you know exactly why they said no. And it's something about, you know, maybe your your reputation or or the past or, or something that you've done that that now it's, it's, it's really tangibly made you feel not good enough. Maybe it's your porn struggle. That like what you look up on the internet is, is making it like almost impossible to like be in this room and, and sing about God. Or, or I mean, I don't know what it is. It could be drinking more than you thought you would, more often than you thought you would, you know, doing drugs you never thought you would try in college, and, and just all of these different things. Or, or maybe, maybe you're really trying hard to just like push all this stuff away, not relate at all. And you're the one that's kind of saying no to people. That's kind of rejecting people, pushing people away, telling them they're not good enough. Because maybe that'll, maybe that'll like quell the truth that, that that's not true for you. And it's, it's so easy to find our identity in these things because like we instinctively know that something is wrong with us. I mean, like, but like classic American consumers, right? Like if you have a bad day and you're feeling down, you just go buy stuff, right? Like if I buy enough things, I'll feel better. I do the same thing with shoes. I'm like, frack. Like maybe, if I, maybe those new pair of Sockenies will really like Get me. They'll cure me, you know. Um, they never do. Um, but I still buy Sockenies. Sponsor me. Um, but, like, I think we do the same thing spiritually, too, right? Like, we're hoarders. That, like, maybe if I just have more, I won't feel as bad. And so, like, I don't know if it's, like, I don't know what it is for you. Maybe it's, maybe it's your grades, right? Maybe it's your parents' relationship, their approval of you. Maybe it's your involvement on campus. Maybe it's the fact that you don't do X, Y, and Z on the weekend. Um, yeah, maybe you have the right friends, maybe you're born in the right family, or maybe, you know, even worse, like me, you, you might think that going to church or going to RUF or, like, serving a ministry or trying to, like, work in something like this might actually expel the things that you've done in the past, you know, make those things not matter and actually give you control over your future. Um, that maybe if we could just do enough work for God, right, like, those things would go away. Um, and I know this has been kind of heavy and, and tough to sit through, but what's super great, and unfortunately we have to confront it, but what's super great is that shame really doesn't get the final say in who you are. Um, it really doesn't. But we have to look at David's response to Mephibosheth, what he does to Mephibosheth, to really see how we can cancel out shame in our own life. And that first point is super long. Really sorry. I'm going to try to quicken it up. Um, but yeah, so we're looking at David's response to Mephibosheth's shame. Um, spoiler alert, this is exactly how God responds to our shame through Jesus. Just going to throw that out there early. Um, because this word kindness that David uses in the text when he says, I want to show kindness, it's this Hebrew word kesed, which literally means like the kindness and the love that God has toward his people. So David's a living, breathing, walking example of that happening in this text. So the first thing David does, and this is amazing, like he seeks him out. He seeks out Mephibosheth. He asks for Mephibosheth. Like he wants to see him, you know? In Genesis 3, 9, this is the most concise summary of the Bible, according to Rankin-Wilborn, that you can find in your Bible. If you want to know what the entire Bible is about in one verse, it's Genesis 3, 9. It's the first thing God says to Adam and Eve right after they've fallen into sin. He asks them, where are you? He doesn't ask, what did you do? What were you thinking? Like, what have you done? He asks, where are you? He's seeking them out. He wants to be with them. And then 
David looks at Mephibosheth and he calls him by name. Mephibosheth calls himself a dead dog in verse 8. But David looks at him with dignity and honor and he calls him by name. Like the king knows who he is. You know? He's like groveling before his feet and the king's like, Mephibosheth. You know, don't, don't be afraid. That's the next thing he tells him. Do not be afraid because I'm going to spare you. So David seeks him out and then he spares him. Really quick, they, they kind of mention Micah briefly. That's like another big thing is that Mephibosheth had this son named Micah who was, again, like, that is a direct threat to David's throne and his lifestyle. Everything, you know, about David's life, his kingship was threatened because there was a potential for this Micah guy, Mephibosheth, to, to lay claim to the throne. And so, like, we see that this is really costly. This is really costly for David to spare Mephibosheth's life. Not only that, though, he keeps going, right? Like, he, re- he restores this guy's inheritance. All the land that he should have gotten from his grandfather Saul has been restored to him. He even gives him servants to work it. He's like, hey, like, you can't walk. I'm going to give you this land, and I'm going to give you 20 servants to do it for you. And, they're going to, and you're going to get all the profits from it. And then the crowning jewel, right? It doesn't sound like much, but this is the biggest thing. He, he's going to dine with the king forever. Like Mephibosheth is going to eat at David's table every day for the rest of his life. And just the sparing and restoring thing would have gotten like so many oohs and ahs from people back in the day. Like everybody, everybody would have been like, wow, like that David guy's like so nice, so noble. Like, can't believe he'd be that merciful. And David could have like sent Mephibosheth off to do his own thing and live on that land and, and been like, I've done my good deed for the day. I'm going to love this guy from afar. But he doesn't. Like he, he invites this guy into his house like every day. For the rest of his life to eat with him. Just to like live life with him. This is like the ultimate example of like the quarterback for the high school football team. Like Mr. Everything, you know. Like prom king, all that stuff. Like this is when he like walks up to that kind of nerdy guy in the, in the lunchroom and like sits down with him. And everybody's like, oh gosh, like that's so sweet, you know. But that's like this, like that's like that time, this is that time's infinity. You know, this is like... The best example that we were coming up with uh, at my house was maybe like when Gary Bertier befriends Julius in the greatest movie of all time. Remember the Titans? Um, all right, let's close in prayer. Um, but no, like, it is, it is that kind of relationship, times infinity, that someone would, would pursue someone that is costly to them in their reputation and their lifestyle and actually just, you know, just want to eat with them. And, and I think the reason that that touches us so much, the reason we love stories like that, it's because we feel like the outcast sometimes. Like, we feel like that nerd. Like, we wish that someone would come up to us that could change our circumstances, you know? Like, we need, we want somebody bigger and stronger than us to, like, come sit by us and say, like, hey, like, because of this, like, you've got value. But, like, why would anybody do that? Like, why would David do all of this stuff that we just talked about? And it's because David is like God. Like, he's showing God's kindness. And it's because... David's love for Jonathan and for Mephibosheth is outweighing his love for control and for power and for comfort. And he's, a prom- he's just a promise keeper. That's who God is and that's who David is. You can look it up in 1 Samuel 20. They make a covenant, David to Jonathan, that he's going to spare and show kindness to and love the house of Jonathan as long as it lasts and as long as he lives. And so David is this living, breathing example of God's love for his people in the way that he loves Mephibosheth, like one of his sons, Kesed, like the love of God. And that's important that they mention, like, like one of his sons. Like, this is almost like an adoption, right? 
This is a crazy story. I heard it at SUCO last year. Subtle plug. You should go hear crazy stories at SUCO this year. Um, this is from Ray Cortese, but this actually happened. You can look this up. It, it happened in Jacksonville. Um, this police officer named Ike Brown, he loses his son to a violent crime. Like His son gets murdered. And it takes three years before they finally kind of like arraign and bring this guy in um, for like the first kind of court hearing. And he, you know, Ike Brown walks into the courtroom fully expecting to look at this guy who killed his son and just like seethe with hatred. Like he was so ready to just do that. But he says that like as soon as he walked in the courtroom and laid eyes on this guy, like the Holy Spirit like worked in his heart and like he, he started to feel compassion and like pity for this guy. And so what Ike Brown did is he actually started to visit his son's killer in prison over time, constantly like mentoring him. And this is what he said. He says, I have a lot of fatherly love to give, and you took my son from me, and so I'm going to show it to you. And he, he's actually in the process right now of like legally adopting this guy who killed his son. Ike Brown, Jacksonville, look it up. Why would anyone do this? Like, why? You know? And maybe tonight, like, is your apathy towards God or your apathy towards Jesus and this whole thing that we're talking about, could it be because we don't see our relationship with him like that? Like someone who would come in and make someone who has no right, like you have no right to be a Christian. We have no right that he would take people like that and actually bring us in and adopt us and treat us like a son. Y'all, this is like the essence of, I just said y'all. Um, sorry, Eva. <laughs> uh, like this is the essence of Christianity right here. Like if you look at Romans 5 verse 8, it talks about how God shows His love for us. The way He shows His love for us is that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Like, this is that gospel word that we throw out every week that we talk about. Like, that's the gospel. That's the good news. This is also how you see Jesus in these, like, crazy Old Testament passages that you want to just gloss over and ignore because they're, like, hard and confusing, you know? Like, Jesus is in everything. Like, everything is pointing to Him. And so in Christ, like, God wants Mephibosheths, like us, to be sought out. Like, He seeks us out. He spares us. He gives us way more than we deserve because He, don't, he doesn't only just spare our life, but through Jesus, he, we actually get His love and His approval and His acceptance. And then He invites us to a table. Like, He wants to be with us. And so do we see that? Do we see that in Jesus? Do we see the scandalous love? Like, think about how scandalous that had to be, right, for David to, like, take this kind of guy in and really love him. I'm sure, like, everyone, probably even David's own sons, were like, who is he? Why is he here? What is he doing here? You know? Like, do you ever feel like that? Like, maybe even in RUF, like, right now, like, people are like, what are they doing here? You know? And so, like, do we see how costly this is that God would do that for people like us? Like, how scandalous that is. I mean, it's the loss of a son. Right? Like God loses his son. Jesus had to endure the shame and scorn of actually being crucified. And in that moment, right, like Jesus puts on all the shame that we deserve in that one moment and God completely turns away from him so that we never have to feel that way, right? Like Jesus became shame on the cross so that you don't have to. And so what do you do with that? Like, what do you do with, like, a love like this and, and a story like that and, and someone like Jesus? Like, what do you do? Like, how do we react? Right? Like, this is our reaction. Like, what, how do we react to a response like that to our shame? And the answer is that you just exist. Like, Mephibosheth, he was just a person, right? Like, he was living and breathing, and that's what, that's, that's what got him, you know, in front of David in the first place. Like, he existed. But then he had to accept Right? Like he exists and then he accepts. And so 
true existence, though, means that you have to really get real with kind of who you are. Like, we can't afford to make light of these things that have been done to us or the things that we have done. Like, we can't run, you know, from who we are. Like, Mephibosheth had to own the fact that he was a cripple, right? Like, that he, he was seen as useless to most of society. He was an enemy of the state. He shouldn't have been spared. Like, he has to see that. So, we have to exist. We have to know who we are. But we also have to accept what's been given to us. We have to keep waking up daily. Like, all Mephibosheth had to do was keep wake, waking up every morning and walk. Well, he couldn't walk, sorry. <laughs> Mephibosheth, he just had to keep coming to the king's table. That's all he had to do, was keep coming to the king's table. Like, imagine if he had said no. Imagine if he's sitting in front of David in the shape that he's in, and he's like, you know what? I'm going to go back to Lodabar. I'm, I'm good. Like, this is great. I really appreciate this, but I don't think I need it. I'm good. Like, David's offer to Mephibosheth has nothing... It, it matters not if Mephibosheth doesn't accept it, right? And, like, think about how it would be if he didn't, right? Like, that would be indicative of someone that is so completely out of touch with reality. So out of touch with who he is, his situation, what he deserves, and so out of touch with what he stood to gain by accepting this kindness from David. And, like, it sounds so ridiculous. You know, you'd think Mephibosheth would never say no. But, like, we... As Mephibosheths, like, say no to God all the time, right? Like, we don't trust Him. We don't believe Him when He tells us that He loves us, that He's good, and that He's kind, and that He, like, wants the best for us, and He actually wants to forgive us and be with Him, and, and, and that He wants to be with us. Like, that's ridiculous. But what's more ridiculous is that, like, God is still all of those things towards Him. Like, His character and love towards you doesn't change, even when you're being too stubborn to accept it. Like, it's still there. God doesn't like wait for us to get it right, you know, or like to believe harder or like love him more or just like obey more and like stop doing all this stuff. Like he showers us in affection and love and blessing while we don't deserve it. Romans 5, 8, like while we were still sinners, Christ died. And it's just who God is. Like that's just his nature. Like it's, it's just who he is. That's, that's God. That's the God that we worship here. And so, like, the last thing before I close, like, the last verse I think is so important if you look at the text. Um, it just states again, now Mephibosheth was lame in both feet. Like, that's the way this story ends. Kind of like a, mm, like, back to reality. Mephibosheth is still lame. Like, David's kindness, like, couldn't medically fix him. Right? Like, David's kindness couldn't magically get into his feet and legs and make them straight again. But something even greater is happening, right? Like David is still loving and still pursuing and still showering blessing on Mephibosheth in the midst of his handicap. And so like the things that we've done, like the things that you and I have done, the things that have been done to us, like we can't undo them, right? Like we can't just make them not exist because unfortunately like this side of heaven, like sin has and will have real consequences that like affect your life. And it's not the way it's supposed to be. And a lot of us know and feel that. But those things that we've done that we can't take back and the things that have been done to us that can't be taken back, like at least we can exist with them at a table with someone who knows everything that makes us feel dirty and useless and shameful. And we're still invited to eat with them. Like he's still inviting us to eat always. That's repeated three times in this text, that he will eat at my table always. And so the song that we sang, if, if you were here at the beginning, Come Ye Sinners, it's got my favorite line in any hymn ever, when it says, Come ye weary, heavy laden, 
bruised and broken by the fall. Like, I can't think of anyone more bruised and broken by the fall than Mephibosheth. He got the worst hand possible. If you tarry till you're better, you will never come at all. And that word tarry means to wait. Like, if you try to wait until you can kind of clean yourself up, like, you're never going to come. Like, Mephibosheth couldn't clean himself up. He couldn't fix himself. Like, he couldn't change who he was. Like, he couldn't even walk on his own into the palace. And, like, we can't either. We can't fix ourselves up to deserve the kind of kindness that we have in Christ. Like, we just have to exist and receive it. Mephibosheth died a cripple. But, like, that was not his identity at the end of his life. That is no longer who he was seen as. And if shame really is this issue of, like, identity and who we are, then fundamentally to cure it, you have to become someone else. Right? Mephibosheth needed someone more powerful than him, with more authority, someone stronger than him, to come and place a new identity on him. To say, forget your crippled reality, forget the reality of being an outcast who's an enemy of the state and who's hated, and come into this new reality that is full of sonship and meals with the king for the rest of your life. Do we see this kind of love in God to us through Jesus? Do his words tell you who you are? That you are loved and cherished sons and daughters. Like, is that what we really, is that the reality we really live in tonight? Is that really who you are? And if this sounds too good to be true, right? Like, don't you at least wish it was? Like, don't you at least wish that, that it was if it sounds too good to be true? Like, will you please keep coming back and investigating this guy named Jesus and this guy named David? Can you rest in this new reality, like right now, that is yours in Christ? Maybe it's for the first time or maybe it's for the thousandth time. Do you just remember who you are? Or who you could be because of Jesus. Will you receive that unmerited favor right now, like tonight, before God? Um, That's an invitation. Let's pray. Um, Lord, please continue by your Spirit and through your Word to confound and and just confuse us by the, the sheer scandal of what it means to be loved by you. The things that you've done for us that we just simply don't deserve. Um would that really become the reality of who we are? Um, Would we live in the truth of who you say we are because of your Son? By your Spirit, would you help us to do that? Would you give us faith and would you give us the ability to do that? We so desperately need it. Um, It's in your Son's name that we pray. Amen.